contenders ready. Do you remember that? Gladiators. It was a Scottish guy they brought in to do it. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, only Scottish, Scottish guy. <laughs> Gladiators ready. <laughs> We're back with a bang whiskey drinking people after a short hiatus over the festive period. Not another whiskey podcast is rocking and rolling, ready to start a whole brand new spanking season. Not even episode. I was going to say episode there, but it's a new season for us. Uh, we've got loads of new guests lined up, topical, sometimes mad subjects to cover. And if that was not enough, I'm joined by my shiny new co-host, Nicholas Palaki. If you haven't listened to the last episode of Not Another Whiskey podcast, you might want to stop this one right now and go back because we announced a big bombshell that Daz is leaving uh, and we've got a new improved shiny host <laughs> <laughs> in the form of Nicholas Palaki. Nick, what's going on, man? Welcome to your first official episode of not another whiskey podcast thank you very much delighted to be here as a host instead of well technically the last episode was my first official but i was technically my own guest which you is were. pretty cool you were so and then handed over know. and pushed daz and i want to thank daz for being a great warm-up act by the way that was a, a little bit long but you know it was, it was a good show <laughs> <laughs> so yeah great to be here great to take off the shiny wrapper and uh, start interviewing guests and speaking all things whiskey to all our listener out there. Dude, we're going to stop saying listener. We've got more than one listener. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to uh, we're gonna kick the tires with you today, mate. We're going to break you in a little bit on the show. This is really all about you. So what I wanted to do today was it's kind of for you guys to get to, to know Nicholas a little bit, a little bit of background. We put some questions out on social media. Loads of you asked them. So we're going to read all them out. So thank you very much to all the listeners that, that put questions out. Um, but anyway, before we get into that, Nick, what have you been up to, man? What's been happening? Not much, to be fair. It's a little bit cold, wet and snowy here in the northeast. I have been traveling around. I was in Dallas last week selling and talking all things Shibui. And now back home. Texan accent? It is. This is my... <laughs> it was great to be back in my home state of Texas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... just actually, I love, going, I love going to Texas. I love going there. So it was a lot of fun and, you know, eating Japanese food, drinking Japanese whiskey and talking with people with cowboy hats and... Uh, Stetsons and boots on and the usual stuff that you've seen yourself Mitch so yeah it was a lot of fun no nice, complaints man. so just to explain to everyone listening um, when Nick and I were in the US if someone didn't understand me I just got louder and more aggressive and more Scottish Nicholas did the opposite he would change his accent to an American accent and then to take it even further he changed that American accent to suit wherever he was in the US so if he's in, if he's down south, he'd have a southern drawl. He'd have like a Texan accent. Your Boston one's the best one, man. I remember that being in Boston with you and you started. Thanks very that much. Boston, right? that I've cool. now just changed it all to being Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street because everybody knows then. So I'm like, hey there, folks, let's talk about some whiskey. No, it's fine. <laughs> That's cool, man. Dallas, I, I, I wasn't as uh, I was up in Speyside, so yeah, just a massive group up here with um, with William Grant and Sons that I was hosting. That was a lot of fun. We yeah, had this, it was, it, dude, it was great. It was like perfect conditions. So we get to Glenfiddich, did Glenfiddich and Balvenie with them, and it was snowing. It was just, it was like picture perfect. Uh, the next day, we, we jumped down to St. Andrews, 
had like a completely blue sky day playing the old course down at St Andrews. No, no snow down there at all. Just perfect yeah, conditions. And then out in Edinburgh the following day, just again, great weather. It was like I, I kind of ordered this weather for this whole group. And, you know, it was, it was funny because they're all from California, Hawaii and Arizona. So they got off the plane in um, Aberdeen, you know, and it was I think it was minus two that day when they arrived. And that was pretty funny seeing their faces. <laughs> right, welcome Always nice to clear, clear the cobwebs away, right? Yeah, totally. But no, a great trip with them. So, yeah, that took up a, a lot of my time uh, time last week and it's good man i'm just uh living the dream up in space side i was down at the mash ton last night so hanging out with my boy fraser campbell um talking go. shit drinking guinness had a couple of abalowers sukinda singh was down there good to see him so he had the whole team from uh tormor uh in so like uh you know new distillery managers georgie crawford was there as well so it was cool catching up with with, with all those guys and seeing that i think that's that's the thing I'm loving about Speyside, mate. You, you just go out and you see everyone, you know, that's from distilleries and it's whiskey. It's the making. who's who of whiskey. Yeah. Walking around all day long. Yeah. Actually, funny. that was it. Zakinda Singh was the first person I ever did an event with. With, with when I joined McAllen and Eddington Group, literally 10 days into the job, I had to go launch McAllen and Lalique, uh, number two. So I had to go down to the Dorchester Hotel and Zakinda was there. And we were doing a whole, show, whole pantomime show for all the fun and exciting things, but it was really cool. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Really, really nice dude. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good lad. Totally chilled. And um, great to see him having Tormor. And it's, it's going to be, I think really interesting to see what kind of visitor experience they put in place there for people, you know? Right. So Nick, as you're new to the show, uh, this is, like I say, this is all going to be about you, right? So, for everyone listening, you know, let's let's get inside your brain a little bit, see how it ticks. I've known you for 13 years, man. It is a scary place. So just to pre-warn everyone, <laughs> um, some some daddy issues. We're going to talk about them on the show today. Oh, mostly. <laughs> if you want me to be sobbing over my keyboard and uh, <laughs> no, but stuffing so, uh, dollar like, bills into my mouth going, do you love me now? Do you love me now? <laughs> Yeah, but um, you you were brought up in uh, Dumbarton, right? You always, I remember was, you always used to say Loch Lomond to everyone because that's where it was easier to, to describe. People know it. <laughs> and then I had to sing the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond <laughs> rather than saying Dumbarton, Scotland, Sons of the Rock. Oh, I love that. Actually, you know, beautiful part of uh, beautiful part of the world, uh, Dumbarton, <laughs> 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 apparently. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I grew up in the Barton. Uh, I'd say few famous people in the whiskey business uh, from from the barn and a few other just famous people, uh, but the barn is predominantly name, known. I don't know any. It was the home of <laughs> it was the home of Ballant, the the largest grain distillery in the world at one point. So Ballantine's Distillery was there. I like the I like the Med with uh, the Mac were there, and all of Pernod Ricard and warehousing is still predominantly still a ton of it's still in Dumbarton, which is nice. So the the sounds and smells of whiskey permeate the town, and we're really one of the backbones of of the town. It's also it was a massive shipbuilding uh, town as well. So for a long long period, that's what Dumbarton was kind of known for. And then, yeah, I, I grew up there. It was ah, it's fun. So that that Billy must be Walker's from there, by the way. That's why that, no, I don't know if you know that. Who? Billy Walker's Billy Walker. Oh, is he? Born and raised in the barn. Every day's a and school so day. And so is uh, so is David Byrne from the Talking Heads. <laughs> that's, that's, I swear to God, yeah. I, I swear <laughs> to God, what a random celebrity. Most people, really? Yeah, David Byrne from the Talking Heads was born and raised in the Barton, Scotland. 
so then obviously you're kind of exposed to whiskey at a very young age is that is that kind of how you got into it or was that later on in life uh i mean i was exposed to it, i suppose that you know like i said the sounds and smells definitely the smells of of of, of a grain distillery you know you, you could live two and a half miles away from the distillery and still smell smell the production but uh um, my brother actually worked in uh, whiskey. He was in the finance side for Diageo. Um, so he went to go work for for those guys. So the first time I ever kind of had whiskey, I probably would have been with him. And then when I started in the booze business, you know, I did the usual stuff after university, worked in bars and restaurants. And then I uh, um, actually went to go work for Bacardi. And Bacardi had a couple of whiskeys under their umbrella. So I sold Glenmorangie and I sold the Bailey Nickel Jarvie blended. Mm. Uh, whiskey which was actually still i mean still fantastic i think it's yeah a that's, that's a great blend it's a great blend <laughs> it was yeah. really high malt content really smooth at the time it was like um, distinctly high malt content for a blend and just a really great whiskey and great story and yeah so that that kind of started the journey and you know and then relatively quickly within kind of four or five years i, I moved across to, to to go work for edrington group and that really kind of cemented everything I wanted to do in the whiskey world. One, I was working on McAllen, Highland Park, and Glenrothes. So couldn't really pick a better malt pedigree to go cut your teeth with. And, and more importantly, I got to work with Jerry Tosh. So Jerry uh, was really influential for me and um, a couple of other people in that business. You know, I was working with Ken Greer. I was working with David Cox. Uh, you know, I got to work with Keith Bonington. Uh, another guy who's a, a dear friend still and and, and has uh, the whiskey sellers uh, there in the UK and, and does some great IB stuff. And yeah, like Jerry really kind of gave me the time, energy and effort to sit down and walk me through all the things that he knew about whiskey. And, we, you know, we used to sit in the cafeteria of Edrington Group. We'd literally a couple hours a week, he would sit down with me and just, you know, allow me to pepper him with questions. And then I was going up to the distilleries and working with, you know, Bob Delgarno and Max McFarlane and, and and people like that. And it was just, you know, from from my standpoint, it was a, a wealth of knowledge I was surrounded by and an opportunity to ask questions and for the first time in my life, shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> so, so it was really good. So yeah, I made the, the most of it time, as much mate. as I could. It's the only time, exactly, as you know, Mitch. So I get paid by the word. So <laughs> <laughs> not on this show, you don't. <laughs> oh, I know. And I want to also thank sponsors, uh, Patek Philippe, for all that they've done. You know, Patek Philippe. You never own a Patek Philippe. You just look after it for the next generation. And that Patek Philippe that's listening, by the way, feel free to send a couple of watches our way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we wouldn't say no to that. Yeah, and then obviously that's where we find each other. When you went to, when you moved to uh, Wayne Grant Sons, Balvenium, we moved back to LA at the same time. And the rest Correct. is Correct, yeah. So, yeah, I know the rest is history. That was a blast, you know. Going from, you know, I'd worked in global PR, I'd worked in global travel retail as well, kind of launching uh, the non-age statement whiskeys for McCallum, which was really an important uh, part of their stock profile to to make everything else kind of click. So I was really excited to be a part of that. And then I moved out, um, fine chap that we both know, Casper McRae, uh, mm. that I reached out to in the US who was working for for William Grant and Sons and, and they were looking for somebody to come out and look after Balvenie. And, you know, you moved out to look after Glenfiddich. And it was just a great time to to go out to the States. You know, I think... You know, fast forward 15 years, you know, the, the brands have kind of cottoned on that it's, it's really important to have somebody from the distillery or be from Scotland or be a, a an ambassador for your brand working in the marketplace. And it really helps 
convey the stories and the messages that you're trying to do, not just to build your own brand, but to promote Scotch whiskey. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that the Scots do probably better than any anybody else in any other whiskey industry, which is, you know, we're not just ambassadors for the brands that we work with. We're not just ambassadors for, um, you know, even even the regions that our brands come from. But you know, right across the board, we're there to promote Scotland and Scotch whiskey, and that's 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 an exciting uh, challenge. And and you know, working with yourself and and a few other people at William Grant Sons was a blast. Like it was a lot of fun. And it's it's easy to look at that that kind of job and be like, well, that's just you know you're going around drinking whiskey, but you're really not. You're you're on the road a lot, especially if you've got a family, a young family like you did at the time. Um, not anymore, Mitch. You're, I mean, you're a, you're a legend of, of of your generation, which is easily done when the rest of your generation died in World War One. But uh... <laughs> nice man, I love that backhanded compliment there. That was that was that wasn't even a backhanded compliment. That was just a backhanded slap in the face. <laughs> right, listen, I want to get into this. Uh, all these questions that have been asked about you on Instagram. Sure. You uh, are you getting nervous for this? Mm, a little bit. So, I mean, the first comment <laughs> I got actually was from um, the Whiskey Sisters podcast. So, if you guys haven't checked out uh, Whiskey Sisters, you need to go and have a have a listen to their show. Uh, Inca and Jennifer doing a, a, a great job over there. Got some really cool guests on as well. Um, but they said that they saw you on Instagram Live a few months ago and loved your chat. Now, I've got two issues with that. Right. <laughs> Firstly, I know you don't know how to work Instagram, and secondly. Like loving your chat, you should. I, I'm pretty sure they must have been looking at you, like watching another Nicholas there, you know. What I mean, it was so. probably my Texas accent, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. I, I, I know I'm awful, I'm awful at social media, I'm not on it personally. I just I can't, I just can't, I just don't have the bandwidth, yeah. Uh, yeah. But don't, yeah, don't try and follow Nicholas on, on, on uh, social media apart yeah. from his whiskey. If you want to follow me, like just walk behind me. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to stalk me, at least be at least be nice about your creepiness. Do you know what I mean? Don't do it on face creep. Just walk behind me. Right. So Colin Mares, who I was chatting to the other day, we need to get him on the show ASAP. Um, yep. Great guy from over in New Zealand. We're going to do a piece with him on, on New Zealand whiskey. Uh, he asked, if you weren't in the whiskey industry, what other industry would you like to work in? Oh, great question, Colin. I think music um, or... or... I don't know, like comedy or something like that. Oh, two, two, two things that I'm not talented with, <laughs> clearly. Don't, don't get like, your day job, mate. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Absolutely. So no, I, th I think probably music would be something that I probably would have looked at. Uh, but it's, hard to, it's hard to say because from the age of 19, literally 1920, when I left uni, that I've been in the booze business. Yeah. So I, I, it's so hard for me to, to take that out and think because... You know, most people don't know what they want to be when they leave university. Most people don't know what they want to do when they go to university. I think that for the majority of us, we try and figure that out in our 20s and, you know, maybe our 30s. Mitch, I don't know if you know what you want to be when you grow up yet, but Mate, for me, I, it's still... Do you know what? I said that to my daughter as a joke. I mean, my, you know, Kobe's now 15, right? Yeah. And uh, we were chatting about what she's going to be when she's older. And I kind of said to her, hey, I'm still trying to work it out. So now that's come and bit me in the ass because whenever we have that conversation, she's like, yeah, but you still don't know what you want to do. I'm like, oh, fuck, when did I say that? <laughs> it's interesting you said music, though. Um, so Nicholas has this amazing talent behind the piano. You can literally say to him, uh, play that ABBA song. And he won't actually know what the ABBA song is. And then you kind of hum it or someone sings it to him and he, he takes about 30 seconds and then he's playing the whole fucking song. It's unbelievable. Dude, remember that time when you were behind the piano 
uh, this was hilarious. So we had a tasting and it was on this big fancy yacht in Newport Beach, a uh, big massive thing. And uh, there was a there was a piano in the, the room that we were going to do the tasting. And I was like, go and sit behind the piano and just play there and then you can start the tasting. And everyone walks in. I don't know if you remember this. Everyone walks in. It's like, oh, it's cool. There's a pianist there. You're like twinkling away, you know, and do do do. And then next thing, like, right, let's start drinking some whiskey. Uh, in front of you, you've got some balvet. And everyone's like, whoa, wait a minute. He's not the pianist. He's the whiskey guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, well, no, A couple questions. of people were still calling me a pianist at the end of the night. I think that's what they were saying. <laughs> Right, so we had a question from uh, HJ54. He asks, favourite drink other than whiskey? Oh, so I have a guilty pleasure here that I'll own up to. I like really, I love whiskey, all whiskeys. I drink nice red wine and I drink shitty NASCAR beer. Like I drink the lowest, cheapest garbage. Like I can't do fancy beers. I, I'll drink like a PBR. PBR or like, yeah, actually I like a Miller High Life. <laughs> which is awful and all with the I love a Guinness as well to be fair so that's my that's my my highbrow beer is my Guinness I love a Guinness uh and then I drink rum actually as well so I drink a little bit of rum from time to time so dude I like a, I mean, a Miller High Life though that's a good beer I don't mind that at all it's just cold and wet it's really sparkling champagne of beers Miller High Life sponsor of not another whiskey <laughs> podcast just saying guys I'm just saying if you want to put a couple of cases my way <laughs> <laughs> Right, words over whiskey. Asked, uh, what's your top American whiskey bar? Ooh, there's a ton of them. We're spoiled for choice. Can't call one. Out. Here's the thing: because I work in the booze business with Shibui, I actually can call one out specifically. But there's a ton of great bars out there. You know, uh, there's a, a we're spoiled for choice, is what I say. And it depends on the states. Like, I mean, there's yeah. depends where you go. There's throw a stone and you'll hit a, a, a whiskey bar, especially here in the states. Uh, where they've got, you know, 40, 50, 60 whiskeys from all around the world behind the bar and up to thousands of them. I'll give you a great example. I was in Dallas. I was stuck in traffic and I'd been talking for about nine hours throughout the day. And it was like six o'clock. I just wanted a beer. I literally pulled off to the side of the road, found a bar, didn't look up whiskey bar, walked in the door and it was wall to wall whiskey. It was one of the best whiskey bars I've been in in a long time. Nice. And that's it. Like you just were spoiled for choice out here. So. Nothing yeah, specifically, I, but there's just a lot to go with. I mean, I think not far away from you over in New York is a uh, flat iron room. That's always one of my go-to. Flat iron room's brilliant. Yep. So and, you know, Brandy Library. Yeah, yeah. Nobu is yeah. great, actually, for, for Japanese whiskeys and stuff. And there's a great little spot called N Japanese Bistro in, in uh, on the west side of, of, of the Hudson. And it's killer, absolutely killer for, for Asian whiskeys and for other world whiskeys as well. Really great spot. Nice. Big L, the shopper's pal. What's going on, Moff? Uh, so if you guys watch the, the Larkfire episode, you'll, you'll know Alan Moff from, from that. He asks if you'll be joining us at Spirit of Spaceside Festival, which I'm guessing not is because that's only a couple of weeks away from now and we haven't really talked about that or made any plans to do that. But when do you have any plans to, to come over to Scotland this year? Like, I know we want to do some lives. We haven't really chatted or nailed down any dates yet, so... I do. I'm trying to put it together for a multitude of different moving parts for me out here. So initially I was looking at March or April. I think I'm probably just going to push it to the summer because I can do everything all in one visit. And I think it's probably better to come back and do as much as possible rather than drip feeding it all in. So I'll try and get back for maybe May or June. Um, we can put a live show together. I've got some distillies I want to go see and some partners I want to see around Scotland. I've got my family still in Scotland, so we're good to go see them. 
as, a, as an add-on. You'd have thought I'd have started with that. <laughs> I've not seen them in person for four years, but I'm like, meh. I'll Skype that one in. <laughs> now nah, be good. Be good to get you over here. Be good to do a, a live show as well. I'll be uh, looking forward to that for sure. Uh, yep. Y2James99 asks, this is a good question. I like this. Top three whiskeys, one budget, two mid-range, three high-end. Oh, and not mine. <laughs> yeah, and not yours. Can't be a no shibui. No, no more plugs. Right, no yeah, problem. Yeah, so a budget, cool. a mid-range, and a high-end. you got to pick. No problem. E e easy done, actually. So for me, um, my budget whiskey. Ooh, actually, that is, that's, a, that's a trickier question because here's the thing. Everybody's budgets are different, right? right. So uh, I'll pick my, like, I like a Glenrothes bourbon cask is my entry-level scotch. Sweet, easy, inoffensive. And I, I, that sounds like I'm being like this is not a particularly good like a descriptor of it, but it's, it's really fun. it's really easy sipping whiskey. I wouldn't say uh, that's budget you know, though. I mean, what are we run in that that must bucks. be at least a fifty sixty dollar. Well, yeah. I mean, oh, okay then. My actual budget. We'll put that into the mid range. My actual budget budget okay, whiskey, so which I budget. just got for the first. Actually, I retasted it for the first time in a long time. Was Doors White Label. Mm. Now, Doors White Label. And I, funny, funny enough, it's a weird, weird uh, situation. I was in Cincinnati, sitting at an Italian restaurant myself. I was traveling right through Kentucky and I drove up and I was sitting in a bar in Cincinnati, uh, right over the border, sat by myself. I was in for three days, sat alone in an Italian restaurant and ordered a glass of wine and my, my meal. And this guy at the bar who was on a date turned around and went, where in Scotland are you from? And I said, blah, 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 Dumbarton. <laughs> Stroke Loch, Loch Lomond. <laughs> and he turned back and he was like, oh, I, I work in the whiskey business. I work for Doers. Turned out he knew you. He knew about five or six other people that we both know. And then another 10 people that I've met since you've left the States. And when he got up to kind of, I think he went to the restroom or whatever, and I bought just as a thank you, because he'd been chatting away to me. So I bought a round of Doers uh, for us to sit and sip on. Um, and when he came back, I was like, cheers. And he was like, we're talking about it. I was like, this is delicious. This doesn't, this is really, really, this is a great blend. It doesn't, doesn't, it didn't jilt with what my thoughts of Doris White Label had been when I was kind of a, a younger yeah. man. And they said that, yeah, the, the whiskey maker had kind of reworked it and kind of they've been really paying attention to the cast maturation program. It was, it was killer. Yeah. And it's right, just, they've been doing 20, 20 bucks a bottle. Yeah, yeah. And they do a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old out here that are absolutely fantastic value as well. Yeah, so, great yeah. Juice. Great yeah, juice. absolutely killer. Great juice. Yeah, we, could, we should probably get someone from Jewers on the show, actually. That'd be an interesting chat. We have had, um, you know, talking about Jewers, we have had the Bacardi guys on. So we've had, you know, Craig Ellicke, Royal Brackler, and um, Aberfeldy, which have been great episodes. Um, yep. All right, so that's that's your, you've got your budget, you've got your mid-range, what's your high-end? I'm going to say Balvenie Turn 1401 here because mm. it's it. Here's what I love about it. It it was expensive. It was $450 when the batch number three came out here in the States, or so 350 bucks, which is a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, but the whiskey that was in it, I think the youngest whiskey was 22 years old and the oldest whiskey was like 43 or 44 years old for batch number three. Um, and it's still to this day. You know, me and Andy Weir were lucky enough to be invited back to help put it together in the Marine Town with David Stewart. And it's killer. It's just one of the best, still to this day, one of the best whiskeys I've ever had. I don't, my, my 
I remember when that first came out and we were both in the US together and, uh, you know, we got quite a few bottles of it. You think about that yeah. now, it's crazy because the, the price of that's gone up so much and it's so smooth. I remember just sitting at home, drink, drinking it, watching a movie and I had quite, I'm like, oh, this is such good stuff. And it was one of those moments where you get up and you realize your legs aren't working because I think it's like, <laughs> it's like 50 odd percent ABV, right? I think it was 52, 54, something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's not, it's not nothing. Great juice. I've also had some, you know, I've been lucky enough to try some really rare whiskies with with McCallum, with Balvenie, with you know other brands that we've we've worked with and friends that we've known in the business that shared great drams. But like, yeah, that was that that to me was great because it was still it was an affordable luxury for you know if you'd really saved and it was a treat bottle for yourself for the year. And then um, you know if you picked up a couple of them, like you said, much now they're worth thousands. You know, people yeah. are getting through the nose for them. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Right. So next question. Ian Bruce 83, he asks, where in the world do you think you've had the most memorable dram? Good question. That's a great question. I actually know the answer to this. And it was um, when I was trying to get my wife to move to California. I don't know if you remember this. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to the Montage Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to the Montage Hotel. So I was trying to get my, my... girlfriend at the time effectively to leave new york and uh, and move to the the west coast where i was living and didn't really have much option because that was it that's where i was living and uh, i took her to the montage hotel which is a beautiful kind of uh property right in the coast of uh newport beach and in, in laguna beach and uh, i had a, a whiskey there and uh, we were standing in the balcony she you know she had a glass of champagne standing in the balcony looking you know the sun setting and there's like a pod of like 60 dolphins skipping through it was like i was trying to talk her into coming and it was almost like i'd set the whole thing up like release the dolphins <laughs> and something like, you know, like oh fireworks whenever you're ready that was that was a pretty cool drama <laughs> yeah yeah that was that wasn't a i was kind of glad i was there for it yeah, um, really awesome i mean it, it was my chat that convinced her to move to California. It wasn't the Dolphins, mate. <laughs> uh, you told her you were going to move to the East Coast. She was like, peace <laughs> out. <laughs> all right. Um, so that was all the questions. But thank you guys for everyone that, that put questions to Nick. Really cool to see you guys sort of interacting with us on Instagram. And you know, please, uh, please keep that up. We want to hear from you as much as possible. <laughs> So on to the news, and we're starting really with quite a bit of rum-focused stuff here, Mitch. Mm. Um, Balvenie in particular, speaking of Balvenie, so from one thing to the next, but another Balvenie story here. Balvenie have released a 27-year-old rum-finished whiskey, which is really, I don't know if you, if you remember when Balvenie 14-year-old came out, but I think you and I were both mm. working in California at the time. It was a yeah. very popular drama. It sold out in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, this was David Stewart. You know, really flexing his muscles with you know cast maturation and, and and kind of creating his own rum blends and seasoning moods up and things like that. Well, this is a great partnership with the wonderful Caroni uh, Legendary Rum, where they have taken uh, uh you know playing around with with different whiskey casks and different rum finishes and all the rest of it. And David Stewart particularly is a is a rum drinker when he's not drinking whiskey, and in a similar vein basically took this uh, wonderful Balvenie and finished it for seven years in these amazing rum casks. So seven years, very, mate. Very... That's going to be banging. Imagine. I know. I actually cannot wait for our complimentary bottle 
Helsey's coming on the, the show soon, so I think uh, yeah. I mean, we were just yeah, discussing we'll as well. Get... This is this is going to be the bad thing about the show for you, mate. You know, getting those samples to to the US for you is going to be tough. It's not going to happen, Mitch. You're going to need to be our primary taster. Well, yeah. Which seems Sucks. like a job that you might be up for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited about that. Did you? Did we see a price on that, Balvenie? By the way, I mean, I'm. I'm there is not. Yeah, no, for all the for not that I've seen, not to yet, not yet. But we we'll certainly ask that question when it when it comes back. But no, they've yeah. not seen a, a price tag on it as yet. Kind of cool as part of the stories range that that Balvenie's doing as well. So tying it in with this nice story of distant shores and obviously the rum and the running and all that kind of stuff that was going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I want to talk about another new release and this time from I think one of my favorite whiskies of the moment right now, which is Glen Scotia. Um, you know, I've been down there twice in the last year or so and a uh, great part of the world down in Campbelltown. Uh, Ian McAllister, their distillery manager, blender there, just such a nice guy. And he's just released a new 21-year-old Glen Scotia, Scotia, which I had a sample of recently. Um, Absolutely stunning. It's matured in a combination of refill bourbon barrels and refill American oak hogsheads before being married for six months uh, in Oloroso sherry casks. Yeah, I mean, I just I sat with this watching a movie the other night and I must have sat with it for about an hour. Um, just beautiful nose on it, so complex. You get that really nice sea salt maritime note that you associate with Glen Scotia. But I put down here there's some um there's some red apples, there's almost like a creme brulee going on on the nose as well. Wow. Uh, just really nice rich fruits, but that salty brininess just came through in a really nice subtle way. Like overall, just a really delicate dram. That's it's just absolutely stunning. I looked at the price of this 265, which I think for a 21 year old isn't bad. Not too bad at all, much. But speaking of pricing, here we go. A steak and kidney pie in Turks and Caicos will cost you two dollars and fifty cents. Uh, chicken pot pie in St. Lucia will cost you a dollar and seventy cents. And a mince pie in Trinidad and Tobago will cost you a dollar and forty five cents. Those are the pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But it's genuinely speaking about pricing and speaking about the Caribbean, wanted to give your last story about a little uh, bottle of rum that sold. It was a bottle of Harewood Barbaros rum that was made in 1780, which was sold to collect in Switzerland, last traded for... Uh, around about nine and a half thousand dollars, just broke its previous world record and sold for twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Uh, so that is a uh, mad. Now the oldest rum in the world has been sold for just under thirty grand, which is pretty impressive. It's not the most expensive. Most expensive rum considered sold was in nineteen forty nine, Jay and uh, Ray and nephew, sorry, which sold for fifty four thousand uh, dollars. But this is pretty cool. This was like only. I think it was 59 bottles of this little rum were found hidden in the basement of uh, Harewood House in Leeds in 2011. And after some kind of you know, carbon dating and all these other fun things that they do to check out the liquid, it was determined that it was distilled in 1780. That's like, just to put that into context, like in the in the early 18th century, so 1720 or so, that was the time of Captain Blackbeard. So you're not far off that kind of... Uh, that kind of real Pirates of the Caribbean style stuff there. So pretty cool story. That was really cool. 
it's i mean all things considered it's not that expensive you can p- compare that to a scotch whiskey it's like a bit of a bargain really uh, but absolutely they're waiting for your thirty thousand dollars whenever you're ready to cut the check almost so. as old as me there you go right <laughs> that's all from the news kind of cool to talk about rum there for a bit i like that um so the last bit we're going to do just keep it on the theme of nicholas here interesting facts about nicholas that will not get you any new friends um, I mean, the only the only one I know about you, mate, is you know you've got a lot of tattoos, and mm-hmm. a lot of them you can't tell people where they actually are because it gets a bit <laughs> X-rated. Well, I can, but they don't want to hear it. <laughs> Correct. So, other interesting facts about you that not a lot of people will know? Oh, good things or bad things, mate. So was a, either so, or, mate. I, I won't go too far into the tattoo story then. But uh, I did get a tattoo actually recently when I was out in Japan. So I got a tattoo across one of my hands. And then uh, when I checked into my hotel, regardless of all the travel that we do and all the the fancy perks and benefits that come with going to the same hotels all the time, the manager of the hotel had to come down and very politely tell me that I couldn't use any of the public facilities because of my tattoos. So no. let's say, you're not, yeah, you're not allowed to use any of the public baths or any of the, the fun stuff that's kind of in Kyoto. So that was that. So I get banned from participating in some of japanese culture did you, did you go and buy yeah, a load of adult nappies after that then <laughs> absolutely no no outside of biting my fingernails there's not many too many bad habits and um, you know i i uh other things are going to have an amazing amazing uh seven-year-old son julian i'm married to my wife carrie now 11 years going on 12 so happiest four years of her life uh, so <laughs> outside of that, that is pretty much me. Uh, How long have you been living in the US now? What's that been? So 2010 was when, when we moved out here. So oh, that's yeah, yeah, 13 years now. It's nice, crazy, nice, right? Man. All right. So I, dude, I think that's enough chatting about you. That's never going to happen on another I episode. Agree. So that's that's you. That's your episode in the bag. Um, guys, we hope you enjoyed listening to that first episode uh, with, with Nicholas. First official episode, which is kind of cool. For the next episode, we're going to head over to Finland and yep. uh, we're going to have a look at some Finnish whiskey, which is going to be quite interesting. Uh, I'm not going to let the bag carry the bag too much about that, but tune in for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.